Good to see everybody. Welcome to Restoration. Um, holy great weather, right? I mean, is everybody else into this? Okay, four or five of us dig it. So we're going to go outside. The rest of you stay here. Uh, it's so nice. Um, we're pretty blessed to be here in Colorado. Those of you who are visiting from another state, bummer for you. <laughs> you got like, like another day or two, right? Right? Okay. So, uh, so glad you're here. A couple quick announcements. We're actually going to take our offering while we do some announcements, some quick updates on our church. So if you're new, uh, you can just let this kind of pass by you, these offering bags with sticks attached to them. Um, if you would like to be a part of the offering, that you're welcome to do that, uh, but no pressure. A couple of things. Um, first one is, if you're new to this place, even um, today, if today's your first Sunday, and you are a courageous, bold, brave person, we have, uh, we have brought in some lunch. We will have lunch, sorry, uh, for you. Um, we have a real brief, like, 15-minute newcomer's uh, lunch that we just get to share a little bit about our church, uh, feed you, and uh, you can ask questions if you want, um, but we just love to have you. So some of you have signed up, but we recognize that not everybody could, can do that, so um, we bought extra. So we'd love to have you, seriously. Um, join us for that right after the service. Uh, you can still donuts and coffee it, but then there's a room right across the hall. We're going to be in there. Um, there are folks who are thinking about going to Houston, and here's this crazy thing that's been happening. So we have been trying to get a group together to go to Houston, um, and just in this last week, after a group of people already bought plane tickets, they told us, we're all done. We're all done cleaning up. We're like, really? Because um, <laughs> that was a pretty big storm. So we're still having conversations with groups in Houston. The trip still may happen. Um, so if you're interested in a trip that might happen, um, we would love to have you jump in. It's actually the first weekend of, of November. So if you're interested in Houston, write Houston on a connection card. Um, it's like a three-day thing. Love to have you there with us. And then uh, the New Testament reading continues. So many of you who are involved in this, we're about to start week four. We're almost halfway through. Um, we're going to be hitting some of Paul's smaller letters like Colossians and um, I, think, I think Timothy's in there this week, um, things like that, maybe finishing up some Romans. So if you haven't picked one of these up yet, and it, maybe if you feel like, man, I'm doing a horrible job at this, that's okay. Just start over again this week on week four. Um, and then we've got groups meeting throughout the week that are talking through it. Um, if you need information, let us know. Hey, listen, I want to invite the group from Nicaragua, our Nicaragua team. They're scattered about, um, or as they say in Canada, a boot. And um, we would love to hear a little bit. We're going to ask these guys a few questions about their trip to Nicaragua, um, this mighty team of four uh, that went to uh, Nicaragua a couple weeks ago. And part of this is because we would love to give you an idea of kind of what they did, and also um, maybe you could be a part of this. We're looking at, at doing another trip this next June. And so we've got a mic over here. I'm actually have Dan start. Um, Dan, start, maybe just share with us a little bit about. Test one, two. <laughs> test. test one. We're all tests. Yeah, it's we're good. good. Okay. We're good. Um, share with us. <laughs> Share with us a little bit about, I mean, some, some of the folks were here for the interview that we had with you. Wait, look at the picture. With, with you. Looks Why? It's like the picture, right? What, you holding an ice cream cone? Yeah. 
Kind of, uh, yeah. Okay, um, so, so we had this interview with you guys while you were down there, and it was, it was really entertaining for us. But um, tell us a little bit about Sunika, what they do in Nicaragua, kind of what you guys did. Well, Sunika has been down there maybe eight to ten years uh, working in Nicaragua. They work with water projects, and the way they do that is, is not like they go in and tell a, a community, you need water and we're going to do it for you. They actually try to stay back as much as possible. They go into a community and they, they do a meeting with them and say, what are, your, what are your needs? And they have them draw a huge map of their community and place their needs and all of that on, on uh on the table or on, a, on the ground. And if a community decides that water is one of their big needs, then Sunika will work with them to try to figure out a way to get clean uh, water to the houses in that community. And so they've done so several projects of getting clean water. Uh, actually, this community here where all the kids are circled around in this picture, they were able to help that community build a water tower, dig a deep well, and then pipe that water from the tower to all the houses. They, yeah, from that water tower actually right there, and that's- Who's uh, on top of that? Me and, it might be Seth. Yeah, me and Seth are up there, and Heath is taking the picture. Dan was chicken, he didn't go up, so he wow. stayed down. But they used to have, uh, actually, they used to have these bicycle wheel wells that they would go and turn that were only about 10 to 20 feet deep, and so they were contaminated most of the time. Hmm. So they dug a, a very deep well for them with this uh, water tower, and now goes to all the houses. So they do that. They also uh, work in discipling uh, children. You saw all those kids are circled around in that one picture. Uh, they were starting a discipleship program in that community with where that water tower is the week that we were there. So we were actually at this very first uh, meeting of the discipleship. And the great thing about the discipleship is it's all uh, native Nicaraguans that are almost, almost entirely native Nicaraguans that are doing the discipling of each other and of the kids. And that's one of the things I really like about their group is such a good mix of native Nicaraguans and Americans and you really can't separate them out as like, who's doing this work? They're all doing it together. And then the other thing they do is provide uh, materials for, uh, family, uh, for kids to go to school, backpacks, uh, books, uh, uniforms, whatever uh, is needed. So they do have sponsorship of children. That's awesome. So I think that's most of what they do. And so you did a variety of things. Um, you did some work. You did some play. You had fun, right, Seth? That's your one question. That's all you have to yeah. answer is yes. Okay. Yes, you had yes. fun. Yes, <laughs> Seth had fun. Um, and uh, But there's obviously some things that challenged you, right? I mean, it wasn't like a vacation. So, Dan, I'm going to maybe have Dan pass the mic to Dan. Dan, what... <laughs> what, what did... I don't know, what challenged you, what experiences maybe affected you or challenged you the most while you were down there? Um, probably, probably getting there was probably one of the most challenging parts, to be honest, just because um, there's a financial side to that along with 
the time commitment. It's not necessarily the most convenient. Um, so I think it kind of stretched uh, myself and Seth a little bit. I know he was a little nervous about falling behind in school mm-hmm. and uh, pulling him out of school for a week. So I think um, it kind of that alone right there, just getting there, stretched um, stretched me a little bit mm-hmm. um, to put what I felt was more important long term mm. in front of maybe the busy life of today. Mm. Um, when I was down there, there's some, you know, there's a lot of levels to that question, but when we were down there, um, there's some, you know, hygiene with, with maybe uh, whether it's um, a cultural thing or um, lack of knowledge or just maybe being immersed in where they've been in, uh, as a community. You know, we stayed the night one night, which was a little rough, but um, stayed the night in a house. And uh, one of the hardest things I actually saw was um, we had one spigot of fresh water coming into the um, into that house. It was outside, and there was a hose that they shared the shared with the neighbor, um, where they would connect the two hoses together, which was um, which was great. But it was a farm, and uh, there was animals throughout the whole farm, chickens in the house, and everything. Which, okay, um, they weren't in my bed, I guess. But the, uh, just the fact that I would see the 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 only source of fresh water, which the water was was clean and uncontaminated coming out of the the um, the water tower, but seeing them drop it in the pig slop, um, and then later <laughs> the knowing right knowing later that we were going to be washing dishes and you know, just stuff like that from a um, you know not to scare everybody, but stuff like that you just kind of have to step back and go okay you know I think we'll be okay <laughs> a little. <laughs> Like Randy earlier was saying, yeah, it puts a new meaning on uh, when you say prayer before you eat. So it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, you just kind of step back and put your, your, your fears aside and go, I think, you know, we'll be all right. I'll be, I'll be all right. Um, That's cool. But staying the night, eating, eating lunches with the, uh, <clears throat> with the families was, was a good, but yet a little bit challenging as well. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And Heath, I'm going to pass it to Heath now. Heath. You've you got a story. I mean, you and I talked for a bit um, just about how the whole thing kind of blew, your, blew you away about how they just found these communities and, and orchestrated all this. But what are some of the story, like maybe a story that, uh, of, of maybe your interaction with the people that affected you the most while you were there? Yeah. Um, so we had a verse that not a verse, uh, a book in the Bible that we kind of used throughout this trip. Uh, it was Second Kings, what was it, Dan? Five. Second Kings 5, it was the whole story. And we studied it before we went, and you know, we're supposed to think about it and kind of like draw a new meaning from it. And, well, I, I have obviously been doing lots of reflection on it. <laughs> um, but there was, so there were several stories that I felt like kind of drew back at that. But the first one was probably the third, second or third day that we were there. Um, we got to go have lunch with a family in the community of Limonel, which is, uh, stands for City of Lemons. Uh, did not see uh, any lemon trees possible they weren't in season but there were lime trees so that was fun we squeezed that into our water bottles that was good um, 
and uh, Limonel is a, is a trash dump community. So uh, there's a dump from Chattanooga, 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 which is a bigger city that's near Limonel, and uh, they just started, you know, dumping all their trash there, and then a community formed around the trash dump site, and everybody that, you know, just kind of squatted there, started living there, was then working in this trash dump site, scrounging things. Uh, we saw a lot of uh, tires being burnt, so they could get the metal from inside the tire after it was done. Um, and the whole community, that's a really good picture of it, actually. Uh, and that's a picture of the, the, the dump, too. Hmm. You can see there's horses in there. Horses work a lot. They work their butts off. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, this, that's the story. Um, we got to go have lunch with a family in the community. And when we got there, it was... I'd say everything that you know, I kind of thought coming into Nicaragua about like kind of what we were going to be go walking into, this was all of that. Uh, the conditions weren't great. I won't go into a ton of detail, um, and and honestly, most of it wasn't like this. But there was just there was just this one particular house. And uh, could you the question again? Just kind of what uh, impacted you the most, it's like a story of interacting with people. Yeah, okay, so I had to I had to give up, prior to this going and having this lunch, I had to give up trying to speak Spanish, um, kind of like uh, Naaman in Second Kings, he had to uh, you know, go to a, a poor country, it'd, be, it'd help if we had a little bit background yeah. in that story, but he had to go to a poor country, he had to give up something, uh, and I had to give up trying to speak Spanish in complete senses and comprehend stuff in complete senses, so that was kind of hard, uh, but when we got to this lunch, and the two, the, the mom and the dad, uh, and they had some kids, uh, I couldn't communicate with them, so I had to you know, completely lean on my interpreters and my translators, uh, and when we were uh, talking with them, they were speaking, and you know, I just remember like, you know, I want to, I want to pour into these people, you know. I mean, that's why I'm here, and I, I would just listen, just very intently. Um, you know, I would feel what they were feeling as they were speaking, even though I couldn't understand a word they were saying. In fact, I, I clearly shut my mind off to trying to comprehend it because it would take me out of the moment. So I just wanted to feel what they were feeling. And then I noticed that because I was listening so intently, they would uh, keep talking. They would keep going. And, and you know they would actually finish and complete their thought. And they always felt really good after they were done. And that was like awesome. Because like, that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to encourage them. I wanted to pour into them. And then I'd listen to my interpreters. Uh, we had three of them that day in that uh, tiny little area with the you know, the three-foot coffee table that had, like, six or eight plates on top of it, and um, just line up what the interpretation of what the story is that they shared with how, it, how they were feeling when they were sharing it, and being able to, you know, take all that in and just really listen to people mm -hmm. and communicate back to them, and, and it ended up just being, like, an awesome lunch. Uh, everybody left the lunch really encouraged, and it was, like, an awesome, impactful really start cool. to the trip. 
It's really cool. And there's a story that if you you know Heath, there's a cool story about a picture, and I won't have him tell it right now. But if you get a chance to talk to him about that, it'd be pretty cool. And you guys had fun too. I mean, it was like you worked and you were. It was like a cross cultural thing. But yes, they actually took you to a swimming hole, but they also took you to this sledding thing. You slid. You actually sledded down an active volcano. Yes. Not into it, but on the outside of it. <clears throat> and I hear Seth went the fastest, so, and um, Speed Demon. And um, they told me because of my size that I would probably go the fastest if I got there. And that was a fat joke, and I really appreciated it, Dan. <laughs> so, uh, so, but yeah, so you can get a chance here that's like sledding on a volcano. So um, these guys, yeah, they, 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 they kind of paved the way. So here's really kind of what we want to do is we want to get an idea because we want to go next June. And here's what I hear. Mangoes are in season. Right, Dan? Yeah, missed it on both ends. Uh, yeah. This is also a lake we got to swim in after sledding down the volcano so we could wash off all the June, we want to take another trip. So if you're interested in it, now's the time to let us know uh, because we can begin to talk about fundraising, okay? So will you give these guys a hand and just, yeah. And if you're interested, if you're interested, will you uh, let us know um, on a connection card? Come find Dan or any of these guys if you want to ask them questions and um, um, we'll talk about doing Nicaragua. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, okay, we got to move. We got to hustle. Uh, dang, we got to really hustle. Um, if we're in week four of this series, Fighting Inertia. Literally, I'm going to talk for about 15 minutes tops. Ten. Let's go ten. Holy interview. Anyhow, um, so if you haven't been around for this, this we've it's been our conversation about money, um, not giving necessarily, not. Not traditional conversation about giving and money, um, but um, did we go get the lunch yet? Just wondering. Oh, yeah, that was just cue for me, my wife to go get the lunch. Um, thanks, babe. Sorry to single you out. Um, so here's the thing. It's called fighting inertia, and the reason is is because it has inertia to it. Money has inertia to it. It just kind of it just kind of sweeps us away. It's, you don't really know, you don't really realize it's doing this to you. Um, it's kind of like Subaru drivers. They don't really know that they suck at driving. They just, I'm just kidding. Ah, no, seriously, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. There's like a, oh, I drive a Subaru. I'm entitled to be in whatever lane I want. So that's uh, <laughs> just messing with you. No, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I'm, like, going to get so many emails. You guys were so much worse. I mean, that wasn't as bad as last week. Last week, I called you sodomites. Remember that? <laughs> like, now you're all offended with your Subarus. All right. So if you missed last week, there's a podcast. Um, <laughs> But here's the thing, the earliest Christians were called followers of the way. And evidently, there's a way to follow Jesus. There's like a new way to live. Um, and if we circle really, really quick back into Genesis, um, there is this rescue mission that begins for the people uh, of this earth. And it begins in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. Because there is something amiss among us when it comes to how this world operates. Genesis chapter 1, it goes like this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, 
your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So notice that in this conversation that God is having with Abram, he's saying, I will bless you and there's a purpose to it. I will bless you so that you can bless other people. It's this idea that we've talked about before about being funnels and not bowls, okay? This idea that God, through us, blesses other people. And, and, and it's not that we are blessed and we just get to hold it and keep it all to ourselves. That's this idea that's happening through Abraham. Now, what's interesting is that um, it, it didn't really always go that way with the people of Israel, and so it doesn't always go that way with us, right? I mean, we are pretty, we're human, and the human condition is one of fearing not having enough um, and, 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 and maybe holding on to things that we think we need to keep a hold of. Um, we were, um, last Wednesday, we were at Money Lab, and if you haven't been to Money Lab yet, I would encourage you to go, especially this week. It's um, the crew of us that were there last week, we, we played a board game that Dan created, and it's, it's awesome. And so if you're not there, I mean, you're just going to love it. And so one of the things we were doing is um, talking about some facts from different nations. And one of the facts that we read, this is a fascinating fact. Listen to this. In Nigeria, five of the ten richest pastors in the world live in Nigeria. I don't know if you know much about the prosperity gospel that's sweeping through Africa, but according to this report in Forbes magazine, five of the ten wealthiest pastors live in Nigeria. I don't know if you know that Nigeria is really not a wealthy country, but there's these massive estates of pastors all over the place. Deuteronomy 24 gives us a little picture of what it looks like for us to be the people of God. And, and some of this is going to be hard, like just context-wise, but just bear with me. We've talked through this before back in the day. It says, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, which happens, right? Uh, we've all been there. Those pesky sheaves. <laughs> Do not go back and get it. So what does it work when we go back and get it? There's something in us at work, right? Get everything, right? Have, get everything collected. That's just kind of what happens when we, we, we overlook our sheaths. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And then there's a second example. When you beat the olives from your trees, which you guys do that all the time, do not go over the branches a second time. What is going over the branches a second time? getting everything you can, right? It's getting everything you can, which is natural, right? Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And here's the third analogy. When, the harvest, uh, when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember, and this is the reason why. I mean, we could say God said so, so do it. But there's a reason behind it. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. 
And that is why I command you to do this. Basically, what, what Moses is saying is through God, God's saying through Moses is you only get one shot. You get one shot at this, and I want you to leave the rest of it. And by leaving it, by seeing that sheaf on the ground or that olive on the tree or that great bundle on the vine, what, what I'm saying, when you leave that, you are performing an act of trust. You are trusting me that I am your provider, that I have pulled you out of Egypt, that at one time you were the foreigner in Egypt, that you were the fatherless, that you were the widow, that you were in need of rescue, and I did that for you so that I want you to be a funnel to others. Does this make sense? This is just a beautiful picture of what it looked like. I mean, the people of Israel, they didn't get to celebrate the Sabbath when they were in Egypt. They didn't get to do festivals and feasts. They weren't in the land promised for them. There wasn't abundance. They were fatherless and orphans and widows and foreigners. And they were rescued. This is the idea of funnels and not bowls. Jesus takes up this idea. And in a passage in Matthew chapter 13, um, this is just a really great passage. It's, it's the four soils, if you remember this parable. And Jesus actually says that things start to happen to us that are not so good when we become bowls, when we start to keep everything. Listen to this. Then he told them many things in this parable, saying, a farmer went out to sow a seed. You remember all this, I'm sure. As he's scattering his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown, Whoever has ears, let them hear. And you're probably saying, Ryan, that has nothing to do with money. Oh, yeah? Look at verse 22. This is when Jesus explains the parable. Notice the thorns. He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But listen to this. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus saying that there are thorns in this world, and it happens to be worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And we talk about the word. It chokes the word. The word isn't the Bible. Okay, remember we had this conversation that most of the time in the Bible, the word of God is not the Bible. It's actually the gospel, the, 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 the good news of what this kingdom will be like. But this idea of scattered and divided, this idea that it, this worries of this life is actually means scattered and divided, that you are actually in your... Have you ever been somewhere and you've been present physically, but your mind is somewhere else, right? Some of you are like, right now. <laughs> whatever. You're present somewhere and you're thinking about something else and there's just this pull and you feel split. That's what this idea of worry is. 
And do you ever feel that way? Have you ever, you ever been at work and you've been thinking about stuff at home or vice versa, right? Some of you, like, I don't know if you're like this, but like I remember as a kid, like in high school, and uh, Sunday evening, I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about school. Or, you know, you're just there on Sunday, but you're thinking about school. It stinks. You ever been driving in your car and then like 10 minutes later, like, I don't remember the last 10 minutes driving in my car, right? That happens to me. I mean, maybe I should get a Subaru, <laughs> right? Maybe I should. You guys are so mad at me right now. But it's this idea of worries combined with the deceitfulness of wealth just start to creep into our lives and choke things out. Here's the thing. Wealth promises to eliminate worry. This is the deceitfulness of wealth. It promises to, to eliminate worry, but it only increases it. It's, it baits us, okay, and then it burdens us. It baits us because it helps us start to do this thing called mining. And you're like, what? No, when you say something's mine, it's called mining. <laughs> That's mine. And it, and it baits us, and it, and we, it, it helps, it, it like forms this mystical bond between us and our stuff is what happens. And it, and it might temporarily do some things. It might, it might temporarily satisfy some things, but then it's this idea that prosperity breeds amnesia, right? Like you forget, you forget before. It's like when you're the people of Israel and you forget that you were slaves in Egypt. You forget that you were fatherless and a foreigner because prosperity has this way of breeding amnesia in us. And we're called to be blessed. We're, we're blessed to be a blessing because we have to remember what we were before. Jesus doesn't say wealth is bad. He says that if it's not passed along, it will choke you. It will choke the work of God in you. So if you are a bull, if, if wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth and worry, and I've got to keep more, and I've got to keep more, I've got to get a bigger bowl. If that is your angle, it will actually choke what God does in you. It will, it will, it will take it um, to, a, you just become something that God didn't intend. Because the deceitfulness of wealth convinces, that, convinces us if we had more, we would be safer if we had more, we would be more comfortable. And maybe if we had more, it would give us more opportunity. And, and that all might be true for a little bit. And then six months later, you're kind of back again, right? And so Jesus says this, you want to know what chokes the work of God in your life? It's being scattered in worry and trusting wealth to solve it. That's the issue. And all the things you can say about the power of the early church. I mean, if you look at the early church in Acts, we're going to read a couple things here. It was so revolutionary that following Jesus actually meant this financial implication on the people in the early church. Like, listen to this. Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold 
property and possessions to give any, to anyone who had need. Acts 4, it goes on to talk about uh, people didn't claim anything as their own. Uh, they shared everything. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection. And somehow in this, uh, this economic environment, the power of the resurrection was able to really truly be seen, okay? That there were no needy people among them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody who had need. So one of the evidences of God among them and God's grace among them was that there was nobody in need. There was nobody lacking. I shared this quote with you last week. N.T. Wright wrote this. What you do with money and possessions declares loudly what sort of community you are. And this is kind of what we want to become. And the statement made by the early church's practice was clear and definite. No wonder they were able to give such a powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. So blessed to be a blessing. Jesus says, if you don't get this right, this is a really big warning. If you and I don't get this right, if we don't live like funnels and we start hoarding and keeping and, and getting bigger bowls, if we don't get this right, the work of God will get strangled in us. It's never, the scripture doesn't say this on any other issue. It says this about money then all you are really, I mean, to be honest with you, if, if you go that route and go, I'm going to be a bull person, but I'm still going to do the church thing. Here's, a, I mean, you might find yourself showing up week after week, month after month, um, and just going, nothing's really happening in my life, but I feel pretty good about showing up. <laughs> you know? Who wants that? Like, who really? I mean, that would that would be lame. And so, First Timothy, this is this is my favorite one. I don't like. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I really don't like this one. First Timothy six. It says, "Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain." but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What is God, I mean, what is left out of God providing for our enjoyment? Nothing. Nothing is left out. And so let me, let me, let me say this. Let me, this is just really a real quick exercise for us. When you hear the phrase, people who are rich in this present world, how many of you think of somebody else? Come on, let's be honest. Think of somebody else. Think of somebody else in a different part of the world, maybe, I don't know, Newport Beach or something like that. There's somebody else, right? There's somebody else that's rich. Um, how many of you think, uh, who, do, who do you think the rest of the world thinks about when asked who the rich people are? Who do they think about? Yeah, they think about us. Let me, let me throw you a few stats now, these are not meant to make you feel guilty, okay? These are meant to give us perspective. These are, these are, there's one stat in here that just blows my mind. Here's the first one. The top 20% of the world's population consumes 
it's coming. Consumes 86% of the world's goods. 93% of the world's population doesn't own a car. That's mind-boggling because my family has four. I know, I'm just like, I'm like, okay. The total income of American churchgoers, okay, is 5.2 trillion, 5,000 billion. It would take just a little over 1% of the income of American Christians to lift the poorest 1 billion people in the world out of extreme poverty. Yeah, I don't like them either. These are great stats. I don't like them. American Christians, who make up about 5% of the church worldwide, control roughly 50% of the global Christian wealth. We, uh, yeah, we've got a lot more. The United States constitutes 6% of the world's population, but consumes between 40 and 50% of the world's resources. 40% of the world lacks basic sanitation. One billion people don't have clean drinking water. Eight 800 million people will not eat today. 300 million of them are kids. This, is, this stat, this next one, blows my mind. Americans spend more annually on trash bags than nearly half of the world does on all goods. We, we spend more on throwing things away than people spend on getting things. It's just wild. Two billion people in the world have no electricity. One percent of people in the world don't own a. One uh, percent of people in the world own a computer. One percent of people in the world have a college education. Uh, and then, if you add up some stats, I mean, if we were to add up a few stats, like it, it, they say, it, it costs basic education is six million for people in the world, nine million for water and sanitation for some of the poorest countries, thirteen million for basic health and nutrition in some places. We spend $20, million, uh, $20 billion a year in America on ice cream, which, I mean, it's a good choice. I mean, ice cream's awesome. So here's the deal. You can do anything with stats. I'm not here to, like, beat us with stats, but just pretend all this is true. When people talk about voting biblical values, where's this one? Like, can we just be honest? And we're the, we're the richest people that have ever walked the face of the earth in any time period. And the fact that I don't feel rich is, it shows me how deceitful and demonic wealth can be. That's just me. I mean, if your income is more than 25000 a year, you are over 90% of the people on the planet. If it's over 50000 a year, you're over 99% of people on the planet. Now, the point is not guilt. And I, and I hope that, yes, I hope there's some holy conviction in it. The point is perspective. So when Jesus talks about the rich, when Paul talks about the rich in, in Timothy, see, we're not off the hook thinking it's somebody else. We're just not. And we have met the rich, and it is us. (laughs) 
And I know there's needs right here, and I know there's people in need right here in our community, and we've talked about the, all that stuff. And yes, we need to jump in on that and be a part of that. It says, command those who are rich to, in this present world to not be arrogant and to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. But it says also to command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share, to be a funnel and not a bowl. See, the invitation isn't some guilt-ridden exercise where we buy God off enough, right? So we buy God off enough, and, and then we can enjoy our stuff. That's not what this is about. I just want you to hear that. The invitation is the same invitation that was given to Abram. And that was, you've been blessed. Find a way to be a blessing. Find a way to do it. And this is this, this outcome is that you would have less of a mystical connection with your stuff. And you would have a less pull of inertia in your life. That life would truly be life. That we would pour out grace and forgiveness and love and mercy and stuff and money and blessing to others. And if you're willing to do that, the work of God might be transformative in your life. If you're not, it might stop. And that's Jesus. Some people say that the regular habit of giving money is a practice. And it's a good practice. And what it does is it forms in us um, a heart for people. But it can become a hollow ritual. It can be something that kind of gets ugly. It actually can be something where it's like, well, I gave, God, I've given you so much. Why, do, why am I struggling with this now? Why do I have this in my life? N.T. Wright says, the habit of giving, of giving generously is not an extra option for keen Christians. It's absolutely obligatory on all. Because our whole calling, our whole calling, is to reflect God, reflect God, the creator. And the main thing we know about this true God is that his very nature is self-giving, generous love. Meaning, if we want to reflect who God is, we need to learn how to be self-giving and generous. And that's why God loves the cheerful giver. Why? Because we're becoming more like God. Because we're becoming more like Jesus in what we do. So I'm just really here to plead with you. This is week four. We've got a couple more weeks to resist the comfortable and the casual version of Christianity because that's really not Christianity. It's, it's churchianity. They're like, like this whole following Jesus thing, is, it's tough, but it's beautiful. And I just want you to, to taste what it looks like to be a funnel and not a bowl. All right? Let me pray. Actually, will you do this? Let's stand, and I'm going to pray as we close. Let me pray. God, we are um, we're humbled by these words. We're uh, maybe even shook by these words a little bit. They need to give us perspective. But God, you've called us into a relationship with you that, that begs us and pleads with us to become more like you, to finding the center of your kingdom. 
And God, you lavished your love on us so much that you died for us. You, you bled out for us. You, you, you became poor and dwelt among us. And you're selling, saying that through that, through that, that journey that we get to take with you, that there's life, like real life, life that's really life through that. So God, welcome us, pull us, encourage us to be a part of this journey with you. We pray these things in your name, amen. As you go, let me read this verse out of James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, and this is huge, this is what this is all about, to keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. Guys, may you be a church, may we be a community that continues to to fight the inertia of this world and be funnels and not bowls, all right? Thanks for coming, everybody. Donuts and toffees in the lobby. Great to see you.